0: Amen. Well, good evening. Enjoy to lift our voices together in this sweet time of fellowship and worship. And uh, for those of you who may be guests with us this evening, we're so thankful that the Lord brought you here. I know many of us as a church body are praying for friends, praying for family and neighbors that in this resurrection week, as we celebrate as believers in Christ, that. That God would be drawing to Himself through Christ people who don't know Christ, that they would know the joys of salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And so, uh, dear church family, as pastors, we've been praying for you this week, uh, for those that you're reaching and that God would be working in their lives. And so if they're not here tonight, that's okay, uh, because you get to go back out there later to keep sharing Christ with them and loving them. And so that's what we want to do faithfully. And tonight, I hope to do the same as we look at one of the most gripping texts, and certainly the most gripping event and and earth-shattering event in all of human history, the crucifixion. And specifically, Jesus' last words before his death on that good and glorious Friday 2,000 years ago. Pray with me before we begin, and we will look at God's Word together. O oh, gracious God, we ask that You would cause us to see and to marvel at Christ again tonight. Lord, it's a joy for us to gather, and I know that there are many burdens on our hearts as we end a long week as we come to the end of work days and 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 weeks uh, work work weeks in the home as mothers care for children and work jobs and care for families lord there are burdens on our hearts as we consider the events in our own state our own nation around the world social unrest and upheaval, rebellion against you, political chaos and global chaos with wars and rumors of wars and all of those things, Lord, those things are heavy on our hearts. And so, Lord, what we need you to do tonight and and every day is to reorient our hearts on Christ, to fix our gaze on him, our glorious king who will come again one day. We pray by Your Spirit's help that we would think on what is true and right and good. And specifically tonight, that that would be Christ and His work of redemption at the cross. May You be glorified, Lord, and I pray for any who in this room who do not know You, and any in our lives who don't know You, that we long for them to know You, Lord. That You would empower us, equip us, and embolden us, Lord, to preach Christ and to proclaim the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn in them with me to Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter 15. And we'll read the portion of Mark where we will focus our attention tonight. And we will look at the second three hours of Christ's, Christ's crucifixion. We believe that the crucifixion began around sometime around uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, the events leading up to the crucifixion, and, and here in Mark chapter 15 verses 33 through the end of the chapter, really through the end of verse 41, we see the second half of the crucifixion scene. Read along with me, starting in verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, that is noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried, with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama Sabakthani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Well, this morning i read to my kiddos from this little book there's a bunch of them out there on the table in the foyer for families for any of you really to grab for your family one for your family it's called the biggest story bible storybook it's a little redundant but it's a great book please grab one on your way out and read it with your kids and your family this weekend but i read i read the excerpt this morning from the section in here on good friday And here's what it said about this day some 2,000 years ago. Jesus knew he was going to die and that it was going to be no ordinary death. We call the day that he died Good Friday. And it was good, very good, amazingly good. We would say it was unbelievably good, except that it happened, and we should believe it. Jesus suffered so that we can be set free. Jesus died so that we can live forever. And Jesus was the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep, and that is why it is called Good Friday. The good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep that's what it's all about. That's what Good Friday is good for. That's why it's good. That's what it's all about. But as we read the crucifixion narratives, for someone who, who doesn't know the story of redemption, this is anything but a good day. This is the, the worst day. And any any death, any funeral, any memorial, any time we, we hear of someone who has died, whether far away from us or near to us. We never want to say or feel that this is a good day. This is a bad day. This is a painful day. This is a sorrowful day. And yet, as we look at the crucifixion, we see all of that wrapped in into one day. A few hours that were both horrendous and wretched and glorious and good. The main point that we want to see tonight is this, that Jesus Christ was forsaken on the cross for sinners. We're going to hone in on what it means that Jesus was forsaken for sinners. You remember what the text says, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? To be forsaken is never a good thing. In, in our experience, in, in, from a human perspective, to be forsaken is only painful, excruciating, to be abandoned, to be cast away, to be set aside, to be rejected. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ was forsaken on the cross for sinners. And that is good news. And we'll see why. We're going to ask several questions about that statement and about that word, what it means to be forsaken. And we'll look at a, a number of texts, but mostly what I want you to do tonight is I want you to hear the story of redemption listen intently, listen well, and be encouraged and rejoice at your redemption if you are in Christ, rejoice with great joy at what Christ did on your behalf so that you might make Him known to others. And here's the first question. First question is this. Why does it matter that Jesus was forsaken? Why does it matter that Jesus was forsaken? Jesus cried out over the hushed, dark silence at the cross. My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? This wasn't the cry of some weak, insecure Savior. This was the cry of the second person of the Trinity who had never in any way been separate from His Father and now forsaken. why does this matter it matters because it means everything that's question number one here's question number two it matters number one because it means everything if Jesus is not forsaken then we have no hope there's no point to be here there's no point to read your Bible in the morning to fight for a quiet time to pray To pray for an unbeliever in your life to share the gospel with them? If Jesus was not forsaken, none of this matters. But it means everything. Here's the second question. second question is this. What does it mean that Jesus was forsaken? It matters because it means everything. But what it means that Jesus was forsaken is the next question. And we're going to look at it in a couple of parts here. What it means that Jesus was forsaken... First, we're going to see this. The who. Who forsook Jesus? If you're going to be forsaken, there has to be someone who forsakes you. You feel forsaken by someone. Someone has left you aside. Someone has abandoned you. Someone has cast you away. Jesus, the Son of God, was forsaken. But the question is, by whom? First, look back at the text, and see again, most importantly in this verse, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we'll get to God's involvement in the forsaking of Jesus in just a moment here. But first, let's step back a little bit and walk up to this this moment. First, Jesus, we see in Mark chapter 15, verses 15 through 20, that Jesus was forsaken by his own government, by his own government, by the Jewish leaders, and then the Roman government who were exercising authority over Israel, over the Jews. Jesus was forsaken by the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders who had the power to stop this whole thing. Right? They had the power to say, no, this man is innocent. From a human perspective, the Roman government had the power to cancel this event. But the Roman soldiers acting on the command of Pilate The Roman governor who first flogged Jesus and then crucified Him. The Roman soldiers carried out the plan of the Roman government who could have stopped it. Now Romans had been performing crucifixions for centuries. And they were experts in punishing criminals and traitors and rebels against Caesars. Slaves and foreigners. They were ruthless in their Crucifixions and in their treatment of criminals. But Jesus was no criminal, and yet he was forsaken and abandoned by the very ones who should have been protecting him as an innocent man. Jesus was forsaken by his own government. Mark chapter 15, verses 15 through 20. Just look briefly. Verse 15 says, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, a true criminal who should have been crucified, who should have been put to death, and having scourged Jesus, having beaten him with a whip, with pieces of broken uh, shrapnel and metal and glass and potsherds and all sorts of Terrible, terrible things. They delivered him to be crucified. But he was also forsaken by his own people. Not only was he forsaken by the government, the ruling authorities, but he was forsaken by his own people, the Jewish people. They'd welcomed him. You remember that? Just a week before. What did they welcome him as? As their what? Their King. They welcomed Him as their King who had come to save them. He didn't turn out to be the Savior King that they wanted. In the first place, we saw that on the cross, Jesus died unjustly. He was crucified. He was killed by the leaders. But next we see that on the cross, Jesus was he died rejected by His own people, the Jews. Who had once praised Him and, and worshipped Him as He came into the city. Hosanna! Hosanna! And now rejected. Who else was He forsaken by? He was forsaken not only by His government and by His people, but by His own followers and friends. Have you ever felt rejected by a friend, maybe a family member? You've felt a little bit of that, haven't you? We've we've all felt, we can all identify a little bit with this being rejected by someone, being spurned, being cast away, or maybe as you walked up to your group of friends at recess and At least this is how I experienced it. And hoping to kind of be a part of the group, the attention kind of shifts away and the backs turn and you are rejected. There's no longer a space as it filled in by the people who were standing there that you thought were your friends, but now, because it's Thursday, they're not your friends. And that's kind of how it goes as a kid, right? We've all felt that way. For whatever reason, today just isn't your day. But Jesus was forsaken By his closest followers and his friends. For three years he had loved them and taught them. For three years he poured his life. His teaching. All of his energy. His late nights and his early mornings. His days with them. Walking with them. Instructing them. Being patient with them. Bearing with them. For three years. And then. He was betrayed by his own disciples. And Mark tells us in sobering fashion in chapter 14, verse 50. He says this, they all left him and fled. Every last one of them. And Jesus is alone. He's alone. He's alone in the dark without a friend in the world to stand with him in his worst moment. Now this is all very shocking in ways, isn't it? It's shocking. How how could someone so good be treated so terribly? Be forsaken like this? Now as believers, as Christians, we, we ask Why wasn't this me? I should be forsaken. I should be abandoned for all of my failures, for all of the times I've hurt my friends, I've said horrible things to my spouse or mistreated people, my own children. We know that we should be forsaken. And we also expect by the world to be forsaken. We expect to be mistreated by those who reject Christ because we stand for and with Christ. We know that we live in a fallen world that's sick with sin. But if you're not a Christian, I wonder how you even make sense of, how would you explain the existence of such evil in this world? You read this text and you go, this doesn't make any sense. But for the Christian, we know that we deserve to be forsaken like this The only way we can make sense of evil like this, Jesus being forsaken, is because of what is to come. Jesus is going to stand in the place of sinners who themselves should have been forsaken. The greatest evil God meant for the greatest good. But unbeliever, how, how, when you look at the world, how do you make sense of evil? How do you make sense of that? How do you even say that there is good or evil? And I would just encourage you, if you have not trusted in Christ, if you come to Christ, He will make sense of those things for you. Because God is holy and and sin is a breaking of the perfect standard and law of God, refusing to give Him glory. And in that way, the world has been infected and corrupted by sin. That is why there is evil in the world. But as we look at Jesus being forsaken by friends and by his followers, his own disciples, we think of Peter who forsook him, who denied him three times, even though he said, no, Lord, I will never forsake you. We think of Judas betraying him. But that's not the worst. The worst of all is what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what does it mean again that Jesus was forsaken? This is our second question. And as we think about the who, we must see that it was God ultimately who forsook Jesus. And this leads us really to what is the, the second big question. As we think about God forsaking Jesus. The second question is this, the what of Jesus being forsaken. What does it mean that Jesus was forsaken by God? And again, in our text, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we think about this climactic moment of Jesus being forsaken by his father, the only. God, the only ruler of the world who Jesus has shared perfect fellowship with for all of eternity, forsaking His own Son. Now just listen as I read some of the events of the day that led up to Jesus' brutal words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the crucifixion that Friday afternoon. On Wednesday, two days ago, Judas agrees to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, a little bag of change, a little bit of silver for the king of the universe. Thursday, Jesus eats the final Passover and he institutes the Lord's Supper and he washes his disciples' feet the day before his crucifixion. And the last meal of his life before his death. And it was going to be a long day. Thursday, the disciples argue over who should be the greatest at that meal with their Savior. Thursday, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him. And Peter says, no way. There's no way. And then Thursday, Jesus prays in Gethsemane, the garden, where he prays, my soul is very sorrowful. As he sweats, as though drops of blood. Knowing what is coming, embracing and, and saying, Lord, if there's any other way that this cup of wrath should be, could be taken away from me. But not my will, your will. Jesus submits himself to the will of the Father. And then Friday unfolds like nothing anyone has ever seen or will see again. And it is horrible and it is glorious. Glorious. Judas, Jesus' disciple, sometime after midnight, Friday, early morning, leads the soldiers to Jesus in the garden, and he gives him a kiss. He says, Rabbi. And this is how they were going to know who to bind and who to capture and who to take and to kill. Judas, Jesus' own disciple, betrays him just after the stroke of 12. Friday morning in those dark moments, Jesus' disciples all abandoned him. You remember what it says. They all left him and they fled away. Can you imagine that? Sitting in a dark place in a garden with torches lighting your little space and everything else is black. And in a second, Everyone looks at each other and they dart through the woods, and there you are, all alone, soldiers, spears, and swords in hand, and that's it. They've all gone. And from then until about 9 a.m., Jesus is beaten and mocked. He's tossed back and forth between the Jewish rulers and the Roman rulers. He's tried secretly in in the night by Caiaphas, the, the high priest. And part of the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, he's mocked, he's beaten, he's cursed. And then before the Romans, Pilate, who finds no fault in him, Herod mocks him and dresses him up in fancy clothes and sends him back to Pilate. And then, starting at about 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is led to Calvary. Jesus is led out of the city, carrying a cross, up a hill, assisted eventually by another who's called out of the crowd. At about 9 a.m. in that same hour, Jesus is crucified. At 10 a.m., Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. And then the soldiers divide up Jesus' clothes, and then people hurl abuse at Him, wagging their heads. As Luke 23 and, and Psalm 22 tell us. And then people hurl abuse at Him. They, they mock Him. The rulers mock Him. The chief priests and the rulers say, He saved others. One criminal mocks Him and says, Save yourself and us, Jesus What an hour that was, from 10 to 11. And then from 11 to noon, the other criminal pleads, Jesus, remember me. Remember me this day when you enter your kingdom. Remember me. And you remember Jesus' words, Today you will be with me in paradise. He assures him of redemption. And Jesus says, Woman, behold your son." Remember that? And then at noon, darkness covers the whole land for three hours. At one o'clock, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then his next recorded words are this I thirst. I thirst. And they raise up a sponge filled with sour wine. And that's all he gets. And that's all they do. And at 2 p.m., Jesus cries, It is finished. And prays, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. What a morning. What an afternoon that our Savior endured for us. Brothers and sisters, at three o'clock an earthquake strikes and the temple curtain is torn in two. The tombs break open and a centurion exclaims, truly this was the Son of God. And then a crowd witnesses Jesus' sufferings and they beat their chests. The soldiers break the two criminals' legs A soldier pierces Jesus' side with a spear. And Jesus is taken down and buried, all in three o'clock hour. And there it is. So what happened? What happened in all of that? What happened when Jesus was forsaken? Now admittedly, though there's great mystery in these words that Jesus was forsaken, Here we have the greatest reminder that God can frustrate the plans of wicked men and overrule them for his own glory. Amen? Amen. So what was accomplished by Jesus being forsaken on the cross? What was accomplished when he said, Why have you forsaken me? And it is finished. Jesus was forsaken, brothers and sisters. He was cast aside so that we could have reconciliation. So that we, who were the enemies of God, might be made the friends of God through Christ's being forsaken on our behalf. Because Jesus, the Son of God, was abandoned, we who deserve to be abandoned are made his sons and daughters. The Son of God was abandoned by His Father so that we might become His children. And if Jesus didn't suffer the abandonment of His Father, we would suffer it for all of eternity. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If Jesus doesn't die, if Jesus isn't abandoned, we are abandoned forever and lost forever and so because Jesus was abandoned we who are trusting in Christ live in the joy and the freedom of knowing that we will never be abandoned amen we will never be forsaken brothers and sisters you will never be forsaken if you are in Christ and so what did he accomplish what did he do what did his being forsaken by the father do When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is what took place for the sake of sinners like you and I. Our sins were laid upon Christ. He himself bore our sins in his own body. He carried on his shoulders our sins to the cross. The cuts and the bruises and the lacerations in His back should have been ours and each one of them for a sin that we should have died for. And He went to the cross for them. Our sins were laid on His back. He carried our sins to the cross. Sins that were not His own. That's imputation. Our sins were removed at the cross away from us. Hebrews 9 verse 26 says, But now, once at the consummation or at the the end of the age, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Jesus, in taking sin upon Himself, is putting away sin that we should be crushed for. Our sins were removed away from us. That's called expiation. They were removed away, out from us. But what else happened? Romans 3.25 says that Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood. They tried to kill Him silently and secretly in the dark at night. But God publicly displayed His most glorious work. The redemption of sinners through the cross, through His own Son. He bore in His own body the full force of the righteous wrath of His Father against the sins of His people. Jesus bore that in Himself. He satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. So we don't beat ourselves. We don't punish ourselves. We don't do penance. Jesus took the wrath. He absorbed God's anger for our sins, brothers and sisters. Do you believe that? He bore all of it and He absorbed it all. And that's called propitiation. But what else did He do? Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. That's called reconciliation. Reconciliation is God removing the enmity, the the anger, the separation that existed between God and the people of Christ. Jesus removed the enmity that was there and brought us peace. Where there was wrath over sin, just wrath that we deserved. We deserve wrath. But we've been reconciled to God. But we also see that Jesus accomplished something else. He accomplished this great word, redemption. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Jesus paid it all. All of our debts that we could never pay, all of our guilt that we deserve jail time for in eternity in hell, under his wrath, he paid our debt. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. He has crossed out the record of our guilt. Jesus paid it all. All of it. The ransom price for our deliverance from the bondage of sin. We were in bondage. And slavery, which is what we're going to talk about Sunday. That we were slaves to sin, but now we are His joyful slaves in Christ. Jesus paid for our deliverance. He purchased His people from sin and from death. He paid it all. He secured our freedom from sin. And Hebrews 9:15 says a death has taken place for the redemption of transgressions. A death has taken place for the redemption of our transgressions. In other words, the cross did not make provisions, it purchased realities. It didn't just make forgiveness possible, but it made it a reality Jesus purchased the redemption of all those who will trust in Christ and so the question is are you trusting in Christ if you are not a Christian consider what it would be like to turn to Christ and to give him all of the burden of the guilt of your sin that you feel that you carry with you he can take that burden he can take it and he will What a small thing it would be for you to forsake your sin tonight. Just think of it. In light of what Christ did on the cross for your sins. Why not? Why not come to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I will have that all. I will have today reconciliation and redemption and propitiation and all of that. I I want the guilt of my sin removed. And I want peace with God. I want a transformed life. Why not come to Him today? in exchange for never being forsaken by God. But believer, those of you who have received mercy, let's give it. Let us freely give the gospel of mercy to those who are without mercy. That's what we're called to do. That is what we are called to proclaim. But I also want to ask you this, believer. Is there any sin that you are just holding on to? That you have not confessed. That you are allowing to keep you away from enjoying the sweet fellowship that is offered to you in Christ. You don't have to hold on to that. You can confess and know that God who is just has paid the price to forgive your sins. You can know Sweeter fellowship with him. If you will give up sins that you are unwilling to confess, I would just encourage you, brothers and sisters, turn from those things. Let them go. Confess them and, and, and let the Lord do a, a work in your life. If you are being hindered from fellowship with the Lord by holding on to some pet sin in your life, let it go. And enjoy the full freedom of knowing your sins forgiven. Brothers and sisters, we have a great redemption. We have a great Savior. I would encourage you, if you've not yet this weekend, take time to read through these texts. Finish the chapter of Mark chapter 15. In this atonement, in this work of redemption, the Son of God in the place of sinners by the will of His Father does what only God could do. Jesus was not some passive victim of some divine injustice. No, in in, in the God-forsakenness, as one author says, of Christ on the cross... The love of God, listen to this, the love of God and the justice of God are revealed on our behalf. The love of God and the justice of God. And this is the gospel. This is good news. the good news of the cross and and it calls us to forsake our sin and to turn away from it, embrace Christ. The forsaken one so that we may not be forsaken. This is the gospel. And today it is offered freely for all those who will come to Christ. Well, Thursday evening, the night before his death, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. A meal, a special meal with his disciples, a final meal. And it was here that Jesus transformed the Passover of the Old Covenant into what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. That is the Lord's Supper, this meal of the New Covenant. And in doing so, Jesus created a new memorial, a new Activity, a thing, a a service, a a worship, a moment of worship for us to remember and, and, and to feast on the glories of the gospel that we have just heard. He created a new memorial feast to remember God's deliverance, not from Egypt, but the greater deliverance from sin and from death. And the Passover celebration that they had just celebrated the day before was a time for the Israelites to celebrate when when the angel of death, you remember, passed over. Passed over in Egypt and the Lord set them free. He saw the blood on the doorposts. And now as we come to Christ, the Lord God, the Father, he sees Jesus' blood poured out for us covering us, as it were, delivered from sin, delivered from death. They looked forward to a final deliverance by the Messiah. And now the true Passover lamb had come. The lamb had come. The final lamb, the lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, had come. And now the true... And now the the, the Passover is transformed into a a supper that would be for all of Christ's disciples to look back at his atoning death and to look forward to the day where they would eat a feast with him again in his kingdom. There is a day where Jesus said, I will not eat this supper until I come again in my kingdom. We will eat a supper with the lamb and it will be glorious. And so as we share in fellowship around the bread and the cup, the body and the blood, remember that we will feast with the Lord one day. As we enjoy fellowship together, it's a picture of our fellowship that we share with God through Christ. As another has put it, this feast, this meal is food for our faith And it's a supper to give us strength. It's food to remind us of the cost, the great cost of redemption. And it gives us strength as we go on in this life, waiting for the coming of Christ. I'm going to pray here and ask the men to to gather in the back to serve us communion. And as I pray, parents, I trust that as you are with your children, that you have expressed and explained these things to them, of what it means to be a Christian, and that, that they're grasping these things if they're, if they're taking the Lord's table and they understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if any of you have not trusted in Christ, this is an opportunity for you just to, to let the, the plate of the juice and the bread go by and just listen and observe what's taking place as we remember The body and the blood of Christ poured out for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you. We praise you that as Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we who should have been forsaken are not. We who should be abandoned are embraced. We have been brought near by the blood of Your Son, and now we await His return. We thank You for this meal that we get to partake in together that is a reminder for us, a a sharing in the fellowship of Christ and of one another of all that he has accomplished, all that he has achieved, all that he's done on our behalf that we could never, ever do. And so, Lord, we partake with thankful hearts and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.